Hello and welcome to the Adventure Films podcast number six. This podcast is all about Terry Gilliam's 1981 film Time Bandits. And just to give a brief introduction to what we're doing, we're looking at ten adventure films, which I chose without a huge amount of thought, <laughs> not in any particular order. There were ten adventure films that I really love that kind of, for me, and this is very personal, although I found a lot of people agreed with me, which was nice, um, define adventure. You know, they're real classic adventure films. And it was just a list at first. I had no intention of doing a podcast. Uh, eventually had the, t- the idea of um, doing these discussions with my brother Murray and just to kind of explore the idea of the adventure genre as it might be or or you know the, the your classic adventure story what makes it an adventure story as opposed to any film or story that is also an adventure of some kind uh, we're looking at adventure uh, you might say with a capital a <laughs> um so that's the introduction to the project uh, my name is garen ewing and i'm a comic writer and artist i do a comic called the rainbow orchid which is um, when I started it quite a long time ago, I called it the biggest adventure in comics because I just wanted a very big adventure, <laughs> I think. And I'm discussing these films with my brother, Murray Ewing. Hello, I'm Murray. Um, I write stories, usually fantasy, horror, science fiction, that sort of thing. And I should say that during these discussions, uh, there will be spoilers ahead. We go through the whole plot and uh, discuss what we think of it at various points. So you will find out what happens in the end if you haven't already seen Time Bandits. Most of these films are pretty well known, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so I'd be surprised if people haven't seen these films. Now, I think this is the first film of our ten that we actually saw at the cinema when it came <laughs> yes, out. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So even though it's the last... There's this and Raiders of the Lost Ark are both 1981. They're the last chronologically. I bet they're both the first you saw... Or either of us saw um, in terms of you know of this ten our lives yeah 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 uh, there's none later than 1981 is that right yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's right so uh, I think I mentioned at the end of the Lawrence of Arabia uh, podcast that uh, in 1981 I was 12 I was 11 12 um, and that's one of those ages that you you know these things really make an impression on you that mm. that can stay with you for life and and certainly this kind of adventure i mean adventure films adventure stories has really been the thing that i've has stayed with me as is, is, is kind of my common thread through everything i'm interested in yeah so time bandits uh, and seeing it at that age um I, I think it came out later in the year so i would have been 12 you'd have been mm, 10 yeah um really perfect age yeah i mean the, the kid was born in 1970 Right. Exactly so, between yeah. us. I was born in 69, you were born in 71. So wow. uh, you couldn't get a more uh, a character that we could perhaps identify yeah. more with. Well, not really, apart from his family set up. It's very different. But um, I mean, we used to go to cinema a lot because our parents mm. divorced in the mid-70s. And we, our dad, he had us for every other weekend and we'd go to the cinema yeah. every other weekend. We saw a lot of fantastic films yeah I remember we saw Star Wars every time it was on <laughs> yes. I mean I remember seeing Time Bandits I'm not sure if this is um, me sort of conflating several memories yeah 
Uh, I remember seeing Time Bandits in the small East Quincy Cinema, or one of the oh. smaller ones, rather than the big one. Right. See, I can't actually remember seeing it. I know I did, as a uh, fact. Yeah. I, like I remember seeing Star Wars. We saw that in Tunbridge Wells. I, whenever <laughs> we go past the now now derelict cinema in Tunbridge mm. Wells, I think, oh, we saw Star Wars there. Yeah. I don't actually remember seeing Time Bandits, although I know I did. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a memory of that, or if <laughs> I just think East Quincy Cinema, and I've got this lovely memory of it was all really. A warm dark red velvet yeah and it was you know it was quite like uh, just being encased in this perfect sort of environment for concentrating entirely on the film yes yes um, was that the small one number three then well i think it might have been number two <laughs> it wasn't the, the huge one. one no but it was and it wasn't the really tiny one <laughs> it's funny because uh, this has made me think about that old east Christmas cinema which was yeah. a lovely building uh, with sort of it had it, you could go down one place for the bingo and then all the cinema well there were two cinemas upstairs I think one yeah. and three yeah and two was down this long corridor yeah that was really weird yeah you used to walk it's almost like going in, into an underground station yes you just walk and walk and you think I'm actually going to get there <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the main we're going off to Cinema Nostalgia here we went to see the Smurfs once and it was in Cinema 3 well we thought it was and we sat down and this film started and we thought this isn't the Smurfs and we'd actually walked into and sat down and watched a good 20 minutes of Saturday Night Fever yeah. which I think was an 18 yeah we and weren't supposed to see it <laughs> it yeah. was us too this was an animated Smurfs movie I say that with the new Smurfs film coming out <laughs> <laughs> anyway I also remember today we saw Sound of Music there not on its first release I hasten to add and I don't know if you remember that it was a summer no. holiday we went with our mum and there was no room. We had to sit on the steps. And there yeah. were people standing around everywhere. All the seats were obviously full. Um, haven't seen that cinema for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, another thing about Time Bandits, I think it was... I don't know if you can correct me on this. <laughs> it wasn't the first video we rented, but it was maybe the second. Yeah. I think... I was trying to remember because it was either that or History of the World Part 1. <laughs> History of the World Part 1, the Mel Brooks film, I think was the first one. Yeah. <laughs> this was from Radio Rentals, and it had a, it had a selection of about 20 if, <laughs> if 20 on one of those um, turnaround oh, right, yeah, that things was. that was their video selection yeah and you'd go in and the Time Bandits was one of them wow and um, so really it's a film we've seen when it came out and we've probably seen regularly since because it's also been on TV I tend to watch it on TV I've got oh, it on DVD I've watched it yeah. several times I have it on DVD and I think I watched it once when I got it mm. which was quite a few years ago so I, I haven't seen Time Bandits for quite a few years I although I am pretty familiar with the film mm. Uh, mm. so I've obviously saw it, seen it a lot over yeah. the years <laughs> but a favourite with both of us? Yeah, definitely yeah, yes. yeah. So Time Bandits is a Terry Gilliam film I guess it was, yeah, must have been the first Terry Gilliam film I saw and and really set up an interest in Terry Gilliam for me. Mm. Uh, one of my favourite films in the top ten has, for a long time has been Brazil, which I really like, which I think was the next film he made. Yeah, well, he, he was trying to make Brazil, oh. and he was having difficulty getting any funding, and yeah. so he thought, oh, I'll just make a film that all the family can watch, thinking it'd be easier to market. Right. And he came up with the idea for Time Bandits pretty much over a weekend. Oh. He took it. He went over to Michael Palin's house, um, who was the co-writer. They were both in Monty Python, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, he got him... He said, you know, what do you think of this idea? And they thrashed it about, and uh, they wrote the script together. Right. I think one thing Terry Gilliam said was... Or, or someone said, and he quoted, was it's intelligent enough for kids and exciting enough for adults. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is quite a good way of putting it. And so this is 1981, and it was produced by 
um, Handmade Films, which is George Harrison's mm. um, film company. And, and they'd come into being through the Pythons film uh, The Life of Brian. Yes, yeah. Because they couldn't get funding for it. And George Harrison read the script and so wanted to see the film that yeah. he decided to, <laughs> I think he, he mortgaged, remortgaged his house to mm. finance it. Wow. And this was Handmade Films' first production that they took on from the outset. Oh, right. Um, not, not kind of rescuing a production, because I think they, Life of Brian, then they, they did something to do with one more. Um, so anyway, that's the, kind of the, the background to it. And I think it's been his most successful, Terry Gilliam's most successful film in the States. Really? Um, it, it was, no one wanted to touch it. Mm. And in the end, he proved them all wrong and, and had a, a real hit. Yeah. On his hands. Apparently one of the things that the studio said is no one wants to see a film with, with little people in it, meaning dwarves. <laughs> and this turned out to be all because there was a film about the making of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, right. Which had bombed. A, a, a fictionalised... I mean, a... Yeah, not I mean, a documentary, was, but a... No, no, it did have... I think it had like a, a Chevy, biopic. Chevy Chase or something like that. <laughs> right. uh, and um, Terry Gilliam, in his, his, I think is in the commentary, he says that the studios decided it wasn't because of the star, it wasn't because of the fil- the plot the, or the script, it wasn't because of the director, it was because of the little people that that <laughs> film bombed. So any other films with little people in weren't going to work. That's know. really funny, because my, one of my favourite lines, I've got a couple of favourite lines from the film, one of them is said by Napoleon, where he says, that's what I like, little things hitting each other. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have loved this film. <laughs> Napoleon would have loved this film, yes. <laughs> Is it always like this when you've done a raid? I don't know. We've never done one before. But I thought you were international criminals. Going to be. Going to be. Yeah, going to be. Aren't we? Going to be. Especially now we've got you, Kevin. Hang on, he's just a kid. He's not one of us. But he knows an awful lot, Randall. Yeah, and he's bigger than any of us. So, should we sort of set the yes. film up? It starts it starts in the real world, yeah. as it were, uh, with a boy who I guess is the same age as the actor, so that would make him you know, 11. 10, 10 or 11-year-old boy called Kevin, living with his parents, who are obsessed by modern tat. Yeah. <laughs> All the mod cons. They're watching a game show called Your Money or Your Life, <laughs> which is... Um, actually, it reminds me of the beginning of Brazil, because uh, the first thing you see is an advert for some kitchen yeah. centerette, I think it's called. Um, and Brazil starts with an advert for ducts. <laughs> um, and this was a si- very similar feel. Yeah. Which I, is, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just nostalgic, but I like it. Um, they're complete consumerists, and all they're interested in is whether they've got the latest gadget and yeah. who's got better gadgets. Yes, yeah. And they're sitting on sofas which are still covered in plastic <laughs> to protect them. Yes. You know. <laughs> yeah. And they're not... Kevin's... He's interested in history. Yeah. He's reading about... Is it the ancient Greeks? Yeah, he talks about how they had so many ways of killing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they're not... But his parents aren't really interested in him no it no. seems They've, yeah. they're more, more obsessed with uh, you know the television and the mod cons as it were but um he goes to bed and a knight explodes into his bedroom <laughs> on horseback through a cupboard yeah which is sort of a reverse Narnia move oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> apparently the Terry Gilliam hadn't seen hadn't read uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe but I, I guess it's quite I mean it's a familiar notion to anyone really it's an obvious place to come from, yeah, you're right. So yeah. I wouldn't say that was a, an influence yeah. necessarily. You think, right? I need a, I need a. I mean, unless he came through just a time hole, but yeah. it kind of makes 
more sense to surprise yes. someone with a knight coming through your wardrobe. Mm. Um, it makes sense, really. So, yeah. So the knight bursts through the wardrobe, uh, causes a bit of a noise, and then disappears. You don't yeah. really see how it disappears, but um, his uh, Kevin's dad comes up and says, "You know, what's all that noise going on?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and there's a little picture on the wall. The knight disappears off into a forest, and then Kevin goes and sees he's got a picture on his wall. Yeah, which I presume. Well, you said before you shouldn't think too hard about the the logic mm. of of these things, and, and maybe we shouldn't. Um. Well, everything in his bedroom does turn out to influence the things that happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious thing is is to then say, well, this is this a dream? Mm. Because one of those things, like everything in the bedroom, there's a chessboard, there's toy knights, there's Lego bricks, yeah. um, there's that picture on the wall, yeah. and these things appear later. So, so. You can say, well, does that mean it's a dream? Mm. I mean, I think it turns out pretty obviously it's not. Yeah. Because um, he's, well, he's got the photographs to prove it, as it were. He's, that's exactly <laughs> right. He's got the photographs, and of course the the evil one has a very real yes. uh, <laughs> consequences at the end, um, unless that's all part of the dream. But, um, yeah, it's it's just, a, I guess it's just a filmic device, a little mm. a sort of echo. Yeah. An echo of reality that he's going to see these things and and they're all the stuff he's interested in. Yeah, I think Terry Gilliam said he goes and meets, you know, his heroes really. Yes, yeah, and and they don't they don't <laughs> quite live up to the heroic stature. No, in fact, I think that's something a theme throughout the film is a kind of a disappointment in adults. Mm. Uh, his parents are disappointing. Napoleon's disappointing. Robin Hood's disappointing. The, the one character that he might look up to and think came out was uh, Agamemnon yeah but even he's kind of disappointing because he he well he doesn't listen to Kevin when Kevin's saying you know when the time bandits appear yes Kevin's obviously distressed that he's going to be he knows he's going to be taken away and that they're going to steal the generally steal stuff yeah but uh, Agamemnon's just joking and thinking it's just a joke you know? yes I mean I find I remember that scene yeah. as being quite horrific I'm, yeah. I'm, I remember as a kid thinking no don't don't can't you see what's happening <laughs> um, and that kind of feeling's really yeah. strong and that, like, I still get that feeling I think there's another bit where Kevin says does he ask him to teach him sword fighting so he, he says oh I'll show you this trick instead. Yes, yeah. and it's that not taking him seriously yeah although I thought with that I mean it's probably a good thing he didn't teach him to yes. kill anyone yeah sure but but he is the person you look up to in this film mm. There's at last someone who could be a father figure to him mm. and um, someone to look up to. And it, it, he is, really. Yeah. And that's echoed later in the film. It's, um, Agamemnon's played by Sean Connery. Yeah. And he appears at the end as a fireman who supposedly rescues him from yeah. the house. Yeah. Although still still leaves and <laughs> there's Kevin left. All right, leaping ahead there. Well, actually, I mean, because Kevin is 11, say, or becoming yeah. a teenager that's the yeah. sort of time when you start to become aware of your parents flaws and you start to sort of reject what they say yeah you become aware of adults as fallible and so the film sort of is reflects his age and you know that age yeah of- i mean there's a, there's a thing in in all kids literature and films that you've got to get rid of the parents yeah <laughs> um, although this happens at the end yeah. but you, you need to go on adventures without you can't go on adventures with your parents they're a bit boring yeah yeah um i think when you think about the ones where the parents go along too, um, the only one I can think of is Hergé's Josette and Jocko, <laughs> mm. <laughs> a sort of family adventure. They're quite good, but 
the most exciting bit so when the kids are yes, away from the parents yeah. um, you could say that all children's adventures are about growing up or yeah, coming of age and yeah. that is all about you know not needing your parents <laughs> every kid dreams of of going on adventures on their own you don't want to go with your parents yeah yeah um, so, but yeah like harry potter a lot of a lot of mm. a lot of kids heroes are orphans and, yes. or, or that kind of thing um it's that sort of fantasy that probably no kid would really want <laughs> no to, to be an orphan or to be left on their own the reality would be pretty horrible but it's a sort of it's a daydream it's the escapist it's, it's the escapist thing you need really and it's how do you get rid of them well mm. well in this he we've had different kinds of adventure films in these 10 this one is a kind of a getting caught up in adventure rather than he you know kevin doesn't decide to go on a quest mm. he gets swept along with the the six dwarves yes um, <laughs> Randall, Fidget, Strutter, Og, Woolly, and Vermin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and he makes the seventh, in a way. Yeah. Snow White and Seven Dwarves. But uh, they're all little people. So I think Terry Gilliam said he wanted the six dwarves so that he'd be going along with some adults, mm. but they'd be his equal. I mean, they mm. are, they're his equal in stature. Yeah. In fact, he's a bit taller than them, <laughs> but... Um, and he also decided he wanted to film it at a kid's eye level. Right. And he said that would be really inconvenient if he was with a bunch of adults. <laughs> yes. You know, you'd always be looking up at them or, you know. Whatever. Yeah. But it is true. If he was with a, with six adults, which would be a bit strange, but um, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't take him seriously necessarily. Yeah. He'd be a child. Yeah. He Whereas, feels like an equal to yeah. his, his fellow adventurers. Although that's they? not to diminish the dwarves, <laughs> if I can say that. It's... Because it's not—it's not their stature necessarily. No, it's also their character. I mean, these are otherworldly characters. Yeah, um, they're part of um, the supreme beings' group of creators. Yeah. Uh, they were assigned uh, trees and shrubbery. Or yeah. I think when they, and they're very disorganised and um, they fight amongst themselves. So they're not adult characters anyway. Yeah, um, they're they're other characters, aren't they? Yeah, I mean they're not children. They're not no. adults. <laughs> you know, forget the fact that they're dwarves. Um, their characters are, yes, are, yeah. are, are different as well, which means Kevin can, although he goes along with them, I mean, he asserts himself yes. later on, but he's pretty much swept along yeah. throughout most of the film, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's our eyes, really, I suppose. Well, in, in mo- quite a few of the um, episodes, he wants to linger. Like, he doesn't want to leave his bedroom. He might really want to, but... Uh, then he wants to stay with Robin Hood, and he gets dragged away. And um, well, he does uh, in the bedroom. I mean, the supreme being appears. Yeah, but he doesn't take a lot of convincing. They're saying, "Come with." No, him. no, yeah. yeah but, I mean, right, I guess yeah. you, maybe that would be the direction to go if this huge face is lo- looming down at you with a booming voice. So, yeah, I do like Kevin's approach. So after the night has burst through his wardrobe and then disappeared, the next night, the next uh, <laughs> night time, <laughs> next twenty-four hour period. <laughs> He, he he takes his camera and a torch to bed. Yes, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. It's an entirely practical approach. And a bag. They're in a bag, though, aren't they? As well. Although I suppose he's hiding them from his parents. Maybe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yes. But it's very convenient for yeah. the following adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just go back to that. Um, I, I really think that Money or Your Life game show is really funny. Um, <laughs> there's the the guy the the wife and the husband's in in a his legs in a plaster cast and he's swinging over this vat of custard yes <laughs> and the, you end up seeing him head first in it and you think oh he's going to drown yeah well I think it really is your money or your life yeah. I don't think Terry Gilliam pulls any punches that kind of thing <laughs> the funny thing is I think that's probably where we're going with television <laughs> some, yeah. some of the stuff you see now you think oh what did I see last night it was something about 
celebrities being taught by children a skill. And, and that's the programme. What have we become? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Money Your Life coming up soon. Yeah, the Supreme Being, when he appears, yeah. very sort of animated. Yeah. Very much like the Wizard of Oz, actually, which you mentioned already, that yeah. the wizard's head, mm. I thought, as he, as he came along. Now, the premise is the dwarves who work for the Supreme Being have stolen this map made by one of them called Horseflesh, who isn't of the six. And it's a map of the holes in the fabric of the universe, yeah. weak points. Yeah. And with this map, they hope to go through these these weak points and steal treasure throughout yes. time. Yeah. That's basically it, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. So we've got another treasure quest here. We've had... Uh, um, the man who would be king there after gold and yeah. the treasure of Sierra Madre. And yeah. This is a little bit more fuzzy, <laughs> but but that's that's the kind of quite distant yeah. um, sort of driving force behind this. It's funny, you mentioned Horseflesh as one of the dwarfs, and this is something which um, sort of got edited out of the film. But in fact, if you notice the people surrounding Darkness when we eventually meet the evil character, one of them yeah. is a dwarf. Yeah. And in the original script, he is Horseflesh. Oh, right. Who turned to the evil side. But he doesn't get any lines in this. Oh, okay. Um, so he kind of... Well, he was the creator of the map, so maybe that's why how the evil one knows about yes, it. Yes, yeah. And wants in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Horseflesh. <laughs> um, so the first place they drop into is 1796 in Italy. Yes. Castiglione with Napoleon taking the city. Yeah. Napoleon's played by Ian Holm brilliantly I think mm. he even looks like there's a painting of Napoleon I've seen I, th- I think he's I think he's really got his eyes <laughs> really well but um, I don't know how you can make your eyes act <laughs> a certain character but he does and this is one of my favourite lines he's watching Punch and Judy <laughs> and he wants more more little people uh, <laughs> I like little things hitting each other <laughs> And he's got these two tall generals who are always sort of <laughs> looming enormous. over him. There's yeah. nothing they can do. They just offend him by their very presence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think famously Napoleon was a short. Yeah. I, I heard, heard this on QI. Oh, it's yeah. one of those QI points <laughs> where they say, yeah, but a lot of people were actually quite short. I mean, yeah. he was apparently average height for his time. Right, right. But who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's the joke in this. In fact, there's a huge list um, <laughs> Michael Palin just came up with this list I'm not sure if you made it up or not of all the people throughout history who were short who <laughs> right. were also marauders or invaders or dictators oh yes yeah yeah sort of making up for their stature by yes, asserting yeah. <laughs> their power <laughs> that's right like Genghis Khan and yeah <laughs> I'm sure it's made up uh, yeah so there's a stage show mm. and the dwarves crash into that and do a really funny what's the song I can't remember it Me and My Shadow Me and My Shadow done <laughs> really badly but brilliantly and the uh, theatre manager who keeps <laughs> he's about to commit he thinks each act that fails he's going to commit suicide yeah. as played by Charles McCann who was one of the writers on Brazil oh, really? and also appeared in Brazil. Mm. Um, anyway. This is one thing about sense. Terry Gilliam's films is there's an awful lot going on in the background. Mm. You really can watch them several times and get... You know, like, the basically there's that theatre manager has got a little plot of his own. Yeah. But some of it's in the background, you know. Yes. Just, it's just the look from him and, yeah. you know, while <laughs> the main action is going on. Yeah. And you get a sort of, I noticed this in most of... Terry Gilliam's films it may be one of the reasons why he's not as popular as you want him to be just because watching it you get this full on you know lots of stuff's happening right (laughs) right yeah yeah um, I mean I love these films of this period Time Bandits Brazil 
Baron Munchausen, which was famously a flop, but I love mm. that film. I think yeah. it's really good. Um, I think it's it's kind of got a new life um, yeah. amongst video, uh, DVD. Twelve Monkeys. What, what I haven't really ever seen is Fisher King, which a lot of people like. Mm. Are, are I familiar? saw it at the cinema when it first oh, came right. out. I'd love to see it again because I've sort of forgotten it. I think I would like to see that based on other people's. I mean, yeah. Someone said to me that's their favourite Terry Gilliam film. Mm. I've seen it before and not really caught that much interest on it for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I saw Dr. Panassas. Uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Panassas. Oh, Panassas, yeah, yeah Panassas. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like it that much, I have to admit. <laughs> I quite liked it. I've got it on DVD, actually. I've, oh, right. I've seen it once. I want to watch it again. Yeah. I wasn't really sure what it was. Um, what was the fairy tale one he did before that? Brothers Grimm. I, I enjoyed that. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I quite liked that one, actually. Um, that was a bit too much uh, action fuel right. for me. Right. I loved the idea. Maybe he was trying to make a blockbuster. Yeah. And uh, well, no, I enjoyed that one because I think, I mean, maybe it's all about expectation. There were bad reviews for that, Brothers Grimm. Mm. And I watched it, I think, on our Amazon or Love Film thing, and I, I enjoyed it. And then we saw um, The Imaginarium, which I think had got really good reviews, and there was a whole Heath Ledge thing, yes, he died halfway yeah. through, so it got a lot of press, and I think I was a bit disappointed. And also there was the documentary uh, Lost in La Mancha. Oh, because he's going to make Don Quixote. Yeah. I think, he, is he trying again? Oh, is he? <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't seen that. I saw a bit of that documentary, because it was on BBC4, I think, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. And see the whole thing. But yeah, I'd love to see Don Quixote by because yeah. he's a bit of a Don Quixote character himself, right? <laughs> yes. Anyway, time bandits. <laughs> Where were we? Oh yes, we're in 1796. Yeah, they're all make generals because he <laughs> likes them so much. He gets rid of his two um, tall generals and makes them generals. Yeah. Uh, he gets drunk, and <laughs> they steal. Apparently, the scene where um, Ian Holm is drunk as Napoleon and going on this long speech. Terry Gilliam had to leave because he was laughing throughout it. And oh, right. he was, he eventually it was requested that the director leave the set <laughs> so they could finish the scene. <laughs> it is so good. So It's so well acted and directed mm. this film. It really is. Um, there are so many moments that you yeah. think, oh, that's a classic moment. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. Well, it's really, as, as you say, Terry Gilliam stuffs his films full of... Yeah stuff Um, and this has got uh, I think I looked away from the screen for a bit and looked back but the first name to come up as the big which is normally your big star unless you're doing alphabetical order like Woody Allen does it was John Cleese isn't it oh right Um, was it I think his name John Cleese he's because Michael Palin was going to play Robin Hood I think he wrote it with himself in mind but then I think John Cleese I can't remember if he wanted to play him or, or he just seemed right. It might have been to get the money as well. I think I'm not sure. Right. You know, well, that's the thing. That's yeah. what I was going to say uh, because he's a name. Yeah. So even then, he was a bigger name, but he seems like the lead name, the star of the yeah. film. But he's actually quite a small part, although very funny. Yeah. Although at the end, the credits, when the film ends, it says "Time Bad." It's starring. The first name is David Rappaport, who was Randall. Oh, the, yeah. The... Oh, right. Well, as it probably should be. Yeah. I mean, he is the. Well, I'd have thought. He, Kev- no, he and Kevin, Kevin yeah. are kind of the two yeah. most prominent characters throughout the film, aren't mm. they? I mean, there's also, I mean, all the dwarfs, but there's um, Fidget is the other one, played by Kenny Baker. Yeah, although uh, Wally, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, who um, the, the bloke with the beard, the dwarf and with the, the glasses. Beard. 
No. Oh. Um, he's got a dark beard, so he's not the he's not the old. Oh one. yes, yes, yes. He does some quite intense acting at some points. You know, like when um, Fidget Kenny Baker dies, yeah. crushed under a, a. Oh, is that Wally? That yeah, Wally. Because apparently those two are were partners in a, a du- they they had a duo. Oh, double act. Co- yeah, a comedy <laughs> double act. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. In the commentary, Terry Gilliam says how much um, Jack. Purvis as Wally developed as an actor. There's a oh, couple right. of scenes where he does anger, and you really feel yeah. as like yeah, yeah, angry. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh. I think another thing on the interview, which I did watch, um, uh, Terry Game says that David Rappaport constantly wanted close-ups and to be, and, and actually, yeah. although they're very antagonistic characters fighting amongst each other, apparently that kind of reflected the truth yes, of yeah, the matter. Yeah. They were a bit. Um, well, particularly Randolph, David Rappaport, yeah. separate. He was a bit separate from the others, right? And he was the leader of the group, supposedly. Yes, they're not. In fact, they say um, earlier, you know, they're supposed to be a gang with no leader. Yeah. Do you want to be leader of this gang? No, we agreed. No leaders. <laughs> right. So shut up and do as I say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Michael Palin suggested. I don't think. I think it was. This was an afterthought. That the dwarves are a bit like the Monty Python crew <laughs> in miniature. <laughs> yeah, um, I have read uh, And someone wrote a book uh, about the Pythons and yes, said yeah. that oh, this character represents Terry Gilliam. This one, Graham Chapman. But I don't think it was that. I don't no, think that was the think, idea in no. they had in mind from the beginning, was no. it? Um, but it's an interesting yeah. <laughs> thing to look at afterwards and say, oh, they are a bit like them. Maybe I suppose you could say just any group of people particularly creative people are going to yeah. go through the group like that it's <laughs> yes. going to fight amongst itself and uh, yeah. if, if it produces results they're going to be quite amazing but yeah. most of the time it's not going to produce results no, no. there's the old musical differences like, <laughs> yeah um. what sort of supreme being created such writ wrath is it not the workings of a complete incompetent but he created you evil one what did you say well, he created you, so he can't be totally... Never talk to me like that again. Uh, so Robin Hood and John Cleese is brilliant, and he based his his character quite amusingly on the Duke of Kent. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, any any sort of royal who... Yeah, who's he, kind of half interested, well, not even half interested, going through the motions of... Yeah, and nobody's jolly really interested. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Four for the one. Yes. <laughs> How long have you been um, a, a band, a burglar or whatever? <laughs> burglar? <laughs> Time burglars. <laughs> um, four for one. Four for one, really, really. Mm. Oh, that's a long time. Yes, anyway. Yeah. Oh, there's a really funny scene. I think that's before them. Michael Palin and <laughs> Shelley Duvall yeah. play this, this kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, the, the line that comes later was, my problem, my problem, where he says, I must have fruit. Yes. <laughs> I forgot. I, well, I hadn't forgotten it came from this, but I've been saying that line yes. since, ever since I heard it. When, when the things get a bit tense and worrying <laughs> a bit, I go, I must have fruit. <laughs> I just shout it out without any context now. Yeah. And, of course, this is where it comes from. And it, I think that's just such British or maybe just English humour. Mm. It's not a problem that you can actually tell what it is. The no. whole point is it's one of those problems that's so embarrassing you don't mention it yeah. and you don't find out exactly what it is. And it's wonderfully... Uh, <laughs> oh, my problem! In exact, you know. <laughs> it's so funny. But embarrassing. Yeah, so good, so good. Well, Sh- Shelley Duval, she's uh, the wife in... Um, the Shining. The Shining, she yeah, is, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm and not sure what else she's done. She played 
I'm oh, olive oil in Popeye. Exactly <laughs> what I was going to say, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I must have fruit. Hilarious. I was interesting about the map as well, because mm. this is where we learn about the map, mm. is in Sherwood Forest. <laughs> yeah. A, a map's one of those key items mm. in adventure films, isn't it? Mm. And, and this is kind of the... I mean, um, how many times does a map start an adventure? Mm. And that's... Yeah. Although although we've got the motivation for this film is, is the holes in the fabric of the universe and they, they want to... Um, steel throughout mm. time it's the map the very existence of the map that is the catalyst for all this mm. and that's true of quite a few classic adventures like Journey Centre of the Earth mm-hmm. I think they is a map um, yeah. it's Lost World they find a, a map in the Amsterdam's of the Ordinary I might know that I think it's a map. diary but yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's okay. similar, yeah but certainly this kind of treasure map idea yeah, yeah. um and also the map in this, I mean, we've had adventures where people have been searching for something valuable, and that's what they're doing here. Yeah. But also where they've got something valuable and they're trying to protect it, like um, Hidden Fortress, where they're trying to protect the gold and the princess. Yes. The map here is quite valuable, and yeah. they've got to protect it because evil wants it. Yes. Yeah, so that's another yeah, yeah. Sort of parallel with those films. I mean, as with all these things, the map is a treasure in itself, mm. as you say, yeah. And so, I mean, we're also introduced around this time in in the film to the evil one yes played by David Warner yes brilliantly <laughs> yeah he played Sark in Tron as well didn't yeah he? that's the year another, this. another film of that period yeah that um, really imprints on your mind but and uh, it's funny the evil one's all all about wanting technology and mm. uh, digital watches <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which were were all, all the rage at the time and, and video recorders and car phones <laughs> <Yeah>. car phones <laughs> computers computers yes well, I mean this was the time of the rise of the home mm. computer because ZX80 yeah well, ZX81 and Spectrum yeah were around about then yeah um, well ZX81 was 1981 oh was oh yeah. is that why it's called yeah, ZX81 yeah, yeah. didn't know that <laughs> We never had a ZX81. No. We went for the Spectrum. Yeah. Which was, what, a year later or two years? Yeah, I think so it might have been a year later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, the thing about evil, he's talking to his, his cronies. Yeah. And they mention the supreme being created him. And he says, no one created me. Yes. And I, I saw, and also he, he thinks he's all powerful. And it's almost like he's a, um, a caricature of how uh, psychologists say an infant... At some stage in its growth, thinks that it's all powerful. Right. Thinks that it can't have had parents. Yeah. Because it's it was created. You know, nothing could have happened before it. You know. Yeah. And he, even though he's a, an adult in stature, he seems really like a uh, he's a child. You yes. Know? Yeah. And he wants all the stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All he's the stuff he wants. Is... Me. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and it's pointed out. You know, if 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 you weren't created and you're all powerful, how come you're stuck in this castle? And he just blasts the blade. Yes, <laughs> that's the answer to that kind of question. Yeah. Um, and I like the way all, all his minions are also covered in plastic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation. It's yeah. just kind of mirrors the the furniture at the beginning. <laughs> but there, there's a strong connection between his par- uh, Kevin's parents. Yeah, yeah. The game show, the obsession with consumerism. Yeah, and technology. Um, and the evil one. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that comes through to Brazil as well. Terry mm. Gilliam's a theme in Brazil. Very much so. All this kind of... You know, just the tat of life. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the, I think uh, Terry Gilliam in, in the commentary says... 
one of the things he that got him was the pettiness of people's dreams. Yes. And he's saying the parents, all they want out of life is the next yeah. food processor yeah, yeah. and one better than their, you know, their neighbours. Depressing thought, isn't it? Yeah. So he he projects into one of the dwarfs' minds the idea of getting oh, the, most, the most fabulous object in the yeah, world. Yeah. That's another line that's always <laughs> that's always stuck with me. I've thought forming in my head. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I quite have, often have that in my, in my head myself. Um, now, uh, the Supreme Being appears again, so they have to escape. Yeah. Why do two holes appear? Because of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason for it. Just no. two holes appear and Kevin goes in the one yeah, and it closes. Yeah. So the others go, have to mm. escape through the other one. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's just two. I mean, it's one of those yeah. weaknesses in the fabric. There's two here. And yeah. But they do, do they say, no, not that one? Well, he's saying, which one should I go through? Anyone, anyone. And he goes through and he says, no, not that one. <laughs> right. And he ends up in ancient Greece. Yeah. And we meet Agamemnon. Yeah. Now, when I was watching this, I thought, oh, so that's Theseus. Because he's fighting the Minotaur. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But in fact... Um, it's all a bit mixed up. Though, yeah, yeah. Because is Agamemnon... He's mythical, isn't he? Yeah, or is he, he supposed was the one him? who... Well, I mean, he's one of those borderline cases. Because <laughs> right. he's in the Iliad. Oh, one of those. <laughs> he was the one who led the the attack on Troy. Yeah. And he is present in a few Greek tragedies. Because right. when he got home from Troy, his wife, Clytemnestra, killed him. Because she preferred her... I thought she didn't look very friendly in the film. Yeah. There's quite a few <laughs> suspicious looks between them. Yeah. In fact, that's amazing how... She doesn't say a word, mm. but you know exactly what's going on between... There's something, yeah. distrust. And, I mean, the only thing I know about Agamemnon is the mask of Agamemnon. Right. And the reason I know about that is because I had to draw a cover for a book, and right. that was the main image they wanted, was the mask of Agamemnon. So I, I know all about that. Right. And it does appear yeah. on his priests or whatever. That's what they're wearing when they kidnap Kevin. Yes, yeah. yeah. In fact, this this film had a couple of things, because I drew a cover, although it's, I've did, I haven't done the rough, hasn't finished yet, who cares, um, <laughs> of The Mask of Agamemnon as the basis. And I've also just drawn a cover with David Warner oh, on, really? on the cover. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 Uh, the, um, the Scarifiers. Yes. You know, I don't know if that's common knowledge, if that's, if that's going to be a surprise. Anyway, it's <laughs> out there now. I remember the... Even the first time I saw this, I loved the fact that when you see Agamemnon fighting this monster who's a minotaur, yeah. I thought you could see him as a monster, you know, a man with a bull's head, yes. or you could see him as a, a man wearing this horrific helmet. Because it is a, a decayed yeah, yeah. Uh, head. I mean, that's yeah. what I kind of thought, because there's no... There's and no he just rips it off. Yeah. yeah, well, you don't see it, do you? And, and also, when you see the body, you, you don't see his head. Mm. Not because it's you don't see a severed yeah. neck or anything. You, you just can't it's, see him because yeah. he's lying down flat. So you don't actually know, mm. which is, is quite good. But I, I just thought, I remember at the time, I, I'm sure this is the first time I saw it, I loved the idea that they were taking a fantastic idea yes. and giving it a slant, which made meant it could have been real. Oh, that's true. You know, yeah, it could yeah. have been a bull-headed monster. Absolutely. Who just happened to be a man. Yes, and then these myths grow up through time yeah. and, and there's the basis for it. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the scene, I mean, Kevin, this is a hero to Kevin, Agamemnon, yeah. and he, he does become this father figure, as I said, yeah. and he takes him under his wing, back to the city, and he includes him, he says, when he shows the head to his people, says the enemy of, of our enemy is dead, yeah. defeated, he calls Kevin up to his side, because yeah. he helped him. Well, I suppose the point is... Because an adult taking him seriously at yeah. last. <laughs> also, because um, Agamemnon isn't getting on with his wife, there's presumably not going to be an heir. Yes. 
And so he say, well, he, he does adopt Kevin as yeah. his heir, doesn't he? Yes. Although I think historically or mythically, he did have children. Oh, right. I mean, in ancient Greek, they all they all ate each other, <laughs> uh, cooked each other, <laughs> and, and um, had sex with each other. Yes. In, in all within the same family. <laughs> <laughs> That's. That's the Greeks for you. No, 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 that's the ancient Greeks for you. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, <add. laughs> Now, the bit where Kevin is woken up by masked priests is apparently, this is quite common in um, tribal initiations. Oh, when right. you pass from childhood to adulthood, quite often what happens is you'll be woken up at night, the men will put on masks and pretend to be demons. Oh, right. And it will actually be quite a scary experience. Yeah. And you'll be taken away to this place which you know you're left on your own or you go through a trial right and then you become an adult oh right and so i, I don't know if that's what they were intending or yeah. you know like it's an actual ritual but is that from a particular culture do you know no i, I just read about it as yeah. generally happened. yeah 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 oh that's interesting yeah i mean it happens in a point in the film where he has had some experience yes now because when do they well yeah the the dwarves catch up here mm. and they come to rescue him yeah he doesn't want to be rescued no so we've talked about that already there's the bit where um Agamemnon's laughing at him being yeah. used for this trick and he disappears it and is a wonderful moment because everyone's laughing yeah but you know yes it's gone wrong and yeah. he's got this wonderful thing where you're feeling the opposite of what exactly. is being shown yeah. on the, the screen yes right? yes yes you're you're let in on the yeah, you're the only one who knows you and Kevin. <laughs> it does feel really awful. It's awful, <laughs> and the way because you want to stay as well. I remember that mm. feeling as a kid. I thought this is, yeah, yes. some niceness at last. His parents yeah. are horrible. Yeah, um, the the dwarves are, are not are too chaotic. Yeah, um, yeah, you can't trust them. Yeah, to look after you or to lead or to advise or anything. Mm. And suddenly there's this rock, this character yeah. you can look up to. And then, as you say, it's all, it all goes wrong. <laughs> he's taken away. Plus the fact that he's Sean Connery, who you know is the well, action hero. That, I mean, that's, that is part of it. Yeah. I mean, of course, he's been in one of our films. He's been in The Man Who Would Be King. Yes. Here he is, a king again. <laughs> and uh, so they, they next land on the Titanic, yes. <laughs> unfortunately. We, it's not revealed to the Titanic at first, is it? No. You see it on the, um, a life ring yeah, as two, one of the waiters yeah. walk, moves out of the way and there we see the Titanic we get another Vincent and Pansy episode oh, yes that's hilarious <laughs> well this time he's got a wart on the end of his nose <laughs> which is he's saying is, could you love someone with that <laughs> and then it turns out he's wearing a toupee yes. as well. <laughs> oh, that's terrible he's bald as well <laughs> um, and the dwarves end up in <laughs> tailor-made tuxedos, <laughs> tuxedos yeah. sitting on the deck enjoying caviar and cigars and yeah and champagne yeah and Kevin's still annoyed and then we see it's the Titanic and it of course hits the ice and, and the bit where you see the Titanic sinking is actually footage from A Night to Remember oh is it colorized oh, well, apparently I didn't it, know that. 1958 film apparently it's yeah. also been used in another film in between <laughs> Wow. Uh, <laughs> it was just yeah. stock footage. It's yeah. like the gates from King Kong yes. <laughs> that we talked about. Yeah. Now, oh, this time, they so they escape off the Titanic. Well, no, they're in the water, aren't they? Yeah, they're all hanging hang on to uh, a bit of flotsam. Yeah. And I can't, the, the next place to go to is the Time of Legends. I'm trying to remember well, what, they what's say, the motivation for them. Well, um, I think it's Og, who's the one who evil is influencing his mind. So right. Now will be the time to make our attempt to get the thing of ultimate desire, whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. And I don't know why they think now is the time <laughs> or how they know what to do it. Because now we've got to believe, which has always been a bit of a false note. Uh, I don't yes. really care about it because no, you, know, you just no. want to get them to the next yeah, stage. Yeah. 
Would you actually do that? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I suppose there is the point that they're, they're not they're not creatures of the earth these dwarves so yes. perhaps they do have some latent power I mean yes. we're thinking about it logically again we mustn't yeah. do that but um, you could say it's a bit of a weak plot yeah. point where you have to believe and then it happens but but the, you could also explain it away by the fact that they do have perhaps some influence over something that they had part yeah. creation in <laughs> also this is a, a scene that's happened before in other films where you're at your wits end you're facing death you know oh yes and that's yeah. when you make the entry into the, you know like, that's where they they got into Kafiri stand yeah just when they thought they were going to die yes there's yeah. a few other yeah, of that. yeah. And in fact this happens again later on in this film right where they're in the desert and the, the invisible on, barrier yeah, yeah they're on the the verge of breaking up as a troop and yes. they hate each other you know yeah. and that feels like, again like they've come to the end of their tether yeah and they break through yes you know, it seems like you can only get through to the next stage by mm. being tested to the ultimate right yeah. yeah yeah that's an important part of these adventure films isn't it mm. it's that, that breaking through the portal yeah you can't just go there no, you can't be an ordinary person. Yeah. Or, or certainly, if you start the adventure as an ordinary person, you've got to have had some transformation through the adventure yeah. to be able to go through that portal to the yeah. to the next level up, which is yeah. not for mortals, almost. Yeah, you've got to be tested to more than you would have thought you could have done. Yeah, you know. and so you've changed, yeah. and, and then through you can go. Yeah, mm. that's, that's a good point. So the time of legends, and um, they end up on this boat yeah. with this ogre and his wife, <laughs> an ogre with a bad back. Um, There's a lot of comic duos in this, and I mean we've got uh, what's the name Vincent and Pansy twice, yeah. and here we've got another uh, man and woman. Yes, I guess these are sort of children's views, comic views of adults, of, <laughs> yes. of parents yes, even. Quite you know. possibly, yeah. Um, so they're fished out of the sea by the ogre. Yeah. And, um, and they want to cook them, of course, but yeah. they, they help him fix his back. And <laughs> they chuck him into the water. <laughs> and there's this really memorable scene where the boat turns out to be a hat. Yeah. Of some kind of headgear worn by a giant who's walking under the water. Yeah. Now, do you know where Terry Gilliam got that idea from? Uh, yeah. Yes. Only because I watched the interview. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the Brian Froud yeah. drawing yeah. of uh, maybe not a giant, but certainly some sea goblin yeah. with a, a, a ship on his head. Yeah. I wonder if what Brian Froud thinks of that. I mean... Yeah. Well, they used the picture in the interview, so obviously he didn't mind it being shown. Well, yeah, you presume not. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, Terry Gilliam just did say, oh, I stole it. Yeah. Um, but this is intellectual property. I mean, if, well, if I came yeah. up with an idea, I thought, oh, I really love this drawing. And then you see mm. it in a film, and the director said, oh, yeah, I took it from this book I saw. Yeah. I would think, well, hang on, you're, t- you're making money out of my idea. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, I don't know if they ever worked together, because... I mean, did they work in Brothers Grimm? That seems like the sort of place where they might have got together. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Brian Froud has worked in films. He yes. The Dark Crystal and... Um, of course, yeah. I'm not sure if he was... Uh, in the interview, I felt as though Michael Palin seemed... He seemed familiar with Brian Froud. And you do mm. you, you do think, oh, how does he... Maybe they work together. Yeah. Maybe it's something to look into. Yeah. Um, anyway, he probably didn't. He's probably flattered. I mean, there's a much more litigious society now, especially with the internet. People are more aware of things being stolen and mm. used and, and that it's worth something. Uh, probably the 70s and 80s, there may have been a, a more freer exchange of yeah. ideas that, that didn't matter yeah. so much, especially if you're already making a good living from your stuff. It may not have been as important. Yeah. Anyway, that's a side issue. I mean, it's good that he admits it. That, that yeah, that's certainly. Really the idea from yeah, I, I wouldn't I expect knowing... anything different from Terry Gilliam. He's very open, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, an enormously memorable scene, and then mm. him walking 
coming onto land and um he tramples those little trolls in the corner <laughs> yes. that's a completely you know there's absolutely no need for that scene no it's a lot of effort for this little <laughs> but so it's quite funny isn't it are they yeah. like they're arguing but there's a baby crying or something yeah <laughs> i guess it's i mean you could say it's another little domestic scene you know yeah. parents and a baby and they're <laughs> arguing but that doesn't matter what they're arguing about because they're about to be trampled by a giant <laughs> yes. there's a lot of um death in this film i mean some people say today, oh God, I can't believe that's a kid's film. But actually, I mean, maybe I'm leaping ahead to, to the end here, really. Where his, his parents get killed. Mm. And, you know, what a bleak ending. But it's just like the classic old fairy tales. Yeah. And you read the originals of, of those, and they are, they're full of death and yeah. really got horrible things. But, I mean, I, I always think this with kids' stuff. I think if you write down to kids, if you think, right, I'm writing mm. something for children... And then you think, I've got to think like a child. I think you're going to fail. Mm, or yeah. or at, least, <laughs> at least end up making something not as potent as it could be. Yeah. Um, certainly with me, with the Rainbow Orchid, I'm not thinking of any age group. Yeah. I'm thinking of... I mean, I, I, I don't want to put sex and extreme violence in it for my own... Yeah, yes. My own interests. I'm not... I'm no, I don't want that in it. Not because it's for kids. Mm. And so I'm because I'm freed up from that. I just write it as I'd want to. I don't think oh they won't understand this word. Yeah. Um, I I just put in the normal text that I would. And I think and kids can manage it. Yeah. People, I think people. I don't know if, if it's still the case, but it certainly was. People get a bit oh that's for children. <clears throat> you know, don't don't overdo it. Oh no, they won't understand that. Don't do that. Such a shame. Yeah. And this is this film uh, is free of that, thankfully. Mm. And and also because he was fairly free to make it I mean that ending I would imagine may have been changed by a bigger yeah. studio they say no we can't have that yeah. <laughs> well, apparently he says um, he, somehow they got the reactions of children to the ending I think he said girls tended to think oh who's going to look after him now he's lost his parents <laughs> yeah. but the boys he said got it they said yeah he's free to look after <laughs> himself <now." laughs> you know which obviously only works in a story but you know I think it, it, yeah um, yeah it's the right attitude. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we've le- leapt ahead a bit there. Um, so now they enter the desert, don't they? Yeah. The, I mean, there's a great scene where they put the giant to sleep by yes. putting some sleeping potion into some bellows <laughs> yes. and, and pumping it into the top of his head. <laughs> Which is Kevin's idea, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's the escape. And they're in this desolate wilderness yeah. and they come across this invisible barrier. I love the line. Oh, so that's what an invisible barrier looks like. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of little lines like that where you might not get it first time afterwards. You think, hey, that's... A, yeah, that's it's like it's like, it's like like the leader line, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, we agreed not to have a leader. Um, and they break through it and there's the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. Yes. Which I guess is where they're going to find the ultimate prize, whatever they yeah. thought they were after. Again, this is greed, isn't it? It's another, it's another greed yes. that leads to their downfall. Yeah. And uh, they end up on this maze and there's the game show yeah. that comes to life again which perhaps suggests again that it might be a dream mm. the sort of echo of reality but really it's the on the other side of that it being reality is the evil one is behind all that stuff anyway yeah <laughs> and the bloke who plays is it uh, Broadbent oh yeah Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent yeah it's, it's one of these things about British films of the time yeah, so many good actors in yes. small parts yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was in Brazil as well I, th- I think wasn't he he was uh, the was he the plastic surgeon of the mother Can't, I think he was <laughs> anyway a brilliant role as well yeah so and, I mean I think this is the point of all this sort of subtext that Terry Gilliam uses for the game show and all that 
the ultimate prize is this was it a fridge or something yeah um, I don't even know if I could tell what it was I couldn't yeah. remember what it was and they're scrabbling across this maze for it they're yeah. just they're, they're, there's this not bloodlust there's a consumer lust yeah <laughs> which is kind of you see that in society yeah. and you think oh god that's horrible you know with adverts and all that and here it is brilliantly portrayed by Terry yeah. Gilliam the evil one is holding up this consumerist item the dwarves are going oh my yeah, they don't yeah. even think they don't even know what it is no, or they wouldn't have wanted it it's like when you see at the sales <laughs> yeah. with all these people these crowding in they just want to get anything that's cheap yeah uh, <laughs> um so that, that's a brilliant scene. They get captured. Yeah. I mean, Kevin's parents appear. Yeah. They're not, well, he's just, they're sh- shape-shifted into it. But yeah. he knows, doesn't he? he? He says it's a trap. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't, he's not fooled by that. Perhaps because he's seen game shows. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and they're captured. Yeah. And put in this cage. Yeah. Hanging above infinity. It's such a brilliant situation. Mm. Because it hasn't got any logic, you know, why Why wouldn't he just get rid of them? Yeah. But it's such a brilliant adventure situation. You know, what would you do in this situation? Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the first time we see the dwarves. They work as a team. They just know what to do. Yeah. And they come out of it brilliantly. Yes. They come up with a plan yes. of getting out of this, which is brilliant just to watch. Yeah. It was almost like a... Um, Pretty unlikely, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like a Heath Robinson. I think... Terry Gilliam loves sort of contraptions and yes, he- yeah. Heath Robinson type devices. Right, yeah. Um, and this, this made me think of um, the thing in the Hidden Fortress, where the writers would come up with impossible situations, yes. and then or, or Kur- I can't remember which way around it was. Kurosawa came up with impossible situations, or or the other writers did, and then the others had to get them out of it. Yeah, yeah. and this is like one of those right. You're in a cage <laughs> suspended above a bottomless pit by a rope. Yeah. Um, how do you get out of it? Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and then they come up with this solution, of course, which is. Uh, great and and then they go and and um, they confront well they, they're going the, to get the map back well the dwarfs are right we're free let's go oh that's and right it's Kevin who says of course we should get the map because yeah, yeah, yeah. evil we shouldn't that's, let evil have the map yeah. that's an important point yeah. that it's his <laughs> motivation and to the, their credit the dwarves think you know yeah he's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes they go to get the map back from the evil one yeah and this leads to the final showdown mm. doesn't it one thing I think the creatures that appear which have got sort of they're like cow oh, skulls yeah yeah and hooks yeah they're just so brilliant they're I mean, really they're scary really, though yeah, aren't they they're um, really simple I mean, I mean now I'd say they kind of remind you of the Dementors from Harry Potter or that kind yes. of scariness yeah non-talking yeah uh, horrific I and mean, they're obviously a dead thing yeah and they're really tall I and mean, you can also just, you can see how they could do it it's probably just a skull on a stick yes but it just works <laughs> oh you so ruined it for me yeah. <laughs> they fire Fireballs yes, out of their eyes. Out their eyes yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're really. They they are a creature that has remained with me. I think you know. I just love the look of it. This, this is one of my, another line I'd completely forgotten about, but it just <laughs> made me roar with laughter when when um, the evil one's saying all the things they're going <laughs> to be able to do, and uh, one of his sidekicks goes, "We'll make beans into peas." <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't quite get it. Yes. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so funny. Also, what evil is threatening to turn uh, Kevin into? He says, I'll make you half donkey, half warthog, half oyster, half carrot. <laughs> and then one of his, his his minions gives him a really odd look. Yeah. Half carrot? Yeah. Although he's the same one who said, we'll turn, make beans into peas, so... <laughs> yes. I've got an idea. 
forming in my head. You haven't had an idea for thousands of years. There is a place where we could find the greatest thing man could want. The goal of everybody's hopes and dreams. What the hell are you talking about? The most fabulous object in the world. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the final... Um, uh, Kevin quite bravely decides to distract the mm. Dementor creatures, for want of a better word, <laughs> while the others go to get help. Yeah. So they go off into time. Yeah. While Kevin um, is on his own. But they come back with Greek... Well, I say they look Phoenician to me, but... I think they were intended to be Greek. Yeah, yeah. But apparently they couldn't... And in fact, they were going to kill off Agamemnon in that scene. Yes. Apparently, but they couldn't yeah. get Sean Connery, so they... No. Just got some, but they're not Greek hats, are they? I no, they, they are. Were... They are Phoenician. Oh, yeah, good. You're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know my Phoenician hardware. <laughs> um, and a spaceship as well appears, which I think was was a scene that was written for the film. I don't know if it was filmed and cut. I don't think so. Oh, right. Where they do go into the future. Oh, right. Um, but it wasn't, you know, budget or time. Mm. It wasn't shot. But you do see the spaceship as perhaps a remnant for that. Because although then there's also cowboys. Yeah. Just things from time. There's cowboys. There's medieval knights. There's the Phoenician archers. Yeah, tank. There's a, a World War Two or whatever tank. I love the bit where the the cowboys are the first to attack him, and yeah. they they throw their lassos over him, and uh, the evil one starts rotating. Yeah. So that they're all on the end of their ropes spinning, and then his head opens up, and out comes this really long, yeah, um, rod with a knife that com- comes down I'm acting this with my arms by the way for those listening <laughs> um, and this knife starts spinning and he cuts them I mean yeah. this is that's pure Terry Gilliam yeah he wouldn't just have some simple thing like maybe he's just rotating and they fly yeah. off <laughs> right. or even a kn- he just gets a knife Terry mm. Gilliam has to have this contraption come out of his head yeah uh, brilliant imagination apparently the look of evil's slightly based on Giga's alien Oh yeah, uh, it is but, a bit like yeah, that, isn't it? But obviously, uh, changed a lot in the in the Gilliamizing process. <laughs> <laughs> and he fights off the knights and uh, with gas and the archers. Mm. He inflates, doesn't he? Yeah. The arrows inflates and the, and the arrows fire back and kill the archers. And he kills Fidget. Yeah. And Wally gets quite impassioned about that. Yes. And he's just about to kill all of them when. What exactly happens? Does he just over? He's overcome by his own evil, and he turns into a, a smouldering pillar of charcoal. I, yeah, I can't remember um, because the supreme being arrives after. That's evil. after. Well, yeah. What happens? I think it's. I, I get the feeling, even though it's not stated, that evil just becomes so evil, too evil for his own good, <laughs> as it were. I actually can't remember that bit. He's about to kill all the dwarfs when suddenly he turns into this pillar. But of, it is, is it? There's no suggestion that that's the supreme being. If he arrives after that, it's not. He's done that. Well, maybe I, I don't see. I don't. Pra- perhaps it's a, a built-in defense mechanism. Yeah. As you say, he becomes so evil, yeah. um, it trips a switch that was built in by the supreme being, and he. Um, sort of shuts down yeah. <laughs> I mean we do later learn that the supreme being created evil he admits it as you expect <laughs> he created the supreme being though, so mm, I want to know mm. yes. <laughs> there is a brilliant thing with the whole kind of question of God and he mentions or before they start talking about evolution or something um, there's a brilliant line where Kevin says 
no, why do we have evil? Yeah. And he goes, well, something to do with free will. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got a wishy-washy answer yeah. himself. Well, he walks off behind a pillow and then comes back and says, oh, I might as well answer. Yes. It's something to do with free will. Because there is no real answer to that. That's, yeah. that's, but that's one of the answers trotted out quite yeah. regularly. But even even God um, <laughs> has just, well, you yeah, an avoiding answer. <laughs> So yeah, Ralph Richardson. I always thought I thought oh, he doesn't seem very interested in this role, but I think actually that's perfect. He's kind of yeah. He's not he's not in the present. He, I mean, this is the creator of all things. He's he's um, well, he's, yeah. He's just not kind of totally concentrating yeah. on the situation because he's he's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's too far. I mean, into all the sort of hero and parent figures that Kevin meets, this is the ultimate one. Mm. It turns out to be so ultimate, he's completely indifferent. He doesn't care what happens to he's Kevin. He's disappointing as well, isn't yeah, he? I yeah. mean, Kevin can't get an answer out of him. No. He doesn't help him. No. Uh, he's not very interested in him. No. <laughs> um, it, and that that's kind of the ultimate, oh my God, even, even God yeah. um, can't help us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently they had to woo... Um, Ralph Richardson yeah oh. to get him to the part and they had to listen to all his ideas if you oh. had, like the I think the post box put evil into the post box was his idea <laughs> right. so they had to do it you know they said some Terry Gilliam said there's some sacrifices you've got to make if you want an action of that stature <laughs> funny that you have that because it was something he had as a child because okay. the idea was that there'd be loads of you know child's toys. Of and, course, because there's the giant Lego bricks. Yeah, and these and the are all board. these all appear in his bedroom. I don't know if they're in the early scenes. I presume they are. Yeah, but they're in his bedroom at the end as well. Yeah. when he's rescued by the fireman, you see him trample over the chessboard and the Lego bits yeah. and the toy knights. They're all there. So yeah, he he um, evil has exploded into many bits, mm. and yeah, as you say, God, the, the supreme being has got all the dwarves and everyone to tidy him up because he can't yeah. find the mess. <laughs> but there's one bit remaining which starts smoking yeah. and then we we drift into back to Kevin's home yeah. and his house is on fire. That's yeah. the smoke. And he's rescued by Sean Connery, yeah. Ag- Agamemnon fireman. And his parents, are there, they're arguing still about their their rubbish. Yeah. Um, you should have gone back in for the blender. Yes. <laughs> Um, and there's a bit of evil in them. What looks like a microwave. Yeah, I, it, I mean microwaves were around then. I, I guess think so. just about. Yeah. But or it could be a small oven. I don't Whatever. Know. Yeah. And Kevin says, "Don't touch it. It's evil." Yeah. And they ignore him. In yeah. fact, they almost. Oh, little boy! He's telling us not to touch it. So we, yeah, they might not have touched it until he said that. It looks almost like they're doing it because he told them not. Yeah. to Yeah. <laughs> um, they totally don't trust their own yeah. listen, listen to the children uh, and they explode <laughs> a shocking ending <laughs> and, the, and that's pretty much the end of the film you sort of drift upwards and, and he's left with no home yeah and no parents yeah and you're left like that yeah which is quite shocking is but quite... um and there's a later Terry Gilliam film called Tideland which is actually an adaptation of a yes. novel which starts off this young girl um, goes off with her father into a sort of remote uh, farm yeah, house. Yeah. The father immediately shoots up, because he's a drug addict, shoots up with a drug and dies. And so f- pretty much the whole of the film is like that final moment of Time Bandits where this girl is suddenly left on her own. Right, right. Um, I have seen that, but I, right. I can't remember anything about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the film. <laughs> I did read that... Terry Gilliam had written a Time Bandits 2 oh really uh, which was going to be for TV or something but um, 
I mean, one of the main characters, um, you know, Randall, David Rappaport, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and, yeah. and he, he'd killed himself. Yeah. And one of the other dwarfs as well, who I think he saw as a key character, um, had died. In an accident, one of them got crushed by his own car. Yeah, I think he uh, he then died later. Oh, right. Um, but that made him a quadriplegic, I think, or something. Mm. So, yeah, pretty <laughs> depressing stuff. But anyway, he didn't make it because he thought he couldn't have them. But I'm not sure what... Uh, did you say that they're thinking of making time remaking Time Bandits? I heard an absolute internet rumour, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I read a bit about that, and this, they called it... They're going to remake it as a franchise. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but you can see the potential for... But all you'd have is a map. I mean, it'd be like Doctor Who. Yeah. The TARDIS becomes the map with holes in the fabric of time. And then you just have a series of adventures in time. Mm, yeah. But there wouldn't be that originality and thrust. It'd just be the name. Yeah. It'd just be the name. It'd be awful. This film is absolutely the film it is because of Terry Gilliam, Michael Palin, all the brilliant actors. It's just so unique. <laughs> and have the effects dated? I think mm. uh, with Terry Gilliam, yeah. he's very good at effects mm. made, um, you know, from... They're physical Real. effects. Yeah, they're not they? yeah. obviously no computer effects then. Yeah. Well, not obviously because Tron happened the year after. As yeah, say. yeah, but that was pioneering. Yeah, um, but it hasn't dated at all. No. They're so well done. It just you don't even think about about that. You no. don't think, oh my god, look how dated that looks. It, it isn't. Mm. It isn't. It doesn't need to be remade. It'd be awful. It would. I mean, there's the film already exists. It's the same for so many remakes. If a classic, I mean, remake the bad film. <laughs> if there's a really bad film, you know, let's try and get it right this time. Don't remake the good films. They're good <laughs> and they're timeless. Yes. You know, uh, all these things, what was it, Psycho they remade? Oh. Almost everything. <laughs> let's, let's remake the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yes. But this time as a photograph in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's perfect, yeah. <laughs> Enough said. So, yeah, I mean, I've sort of the adventure I mean, we discussed pretty much everything the, you know, yeah. the aspect of kids films and the the adventure aspect of it with the map and the quest well the this is a getting caught up in adventure mm. or it's also got the map and the greed aspect you really do feel as though they're let loose on a, an entire universe you know mm. they can go anywhere and that's one of the adventure feelings there's, there's a strong element of fantasy to this one which mm. there perhaps isn't with the others I mean I suppose King Kong has got a fantastic element in a giant gorilla. Yeah. But it's 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 kind of very possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It may not be actually, yeah. but but it is. It's just one element. Once you accept yeah. that, everything else is realistic. And the man who would be king has not really got any fantasy elements. Again, I mean mm. it it has in the idea that there's a lost city yeah. type thing, but it's very possible. Yeah. Again. Treasure Sierra Madre of course is 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 quite a straight up adventure yeah there's no there's no fantastical elements in Hidden Fortress mm. or Lawrence of Raymond no, no. very much based on so this is I mean I've talked before about the genre of adventure and you could say any film's an adventure like um, you know a war film yeah, um, yeah. A Bridge Too Far that's, a, that's an adventure film yeah. but it's I've, I've suggested the idea that that's trumped by the genre of war film yeah so that so is this not a fantasy or a science fiction I mean why is it I chose it as one of my adventure films. Yeah. And I still think it... I think mm. it's, it's that starting off in the real world and going off on an adventure, basically. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Uh, how else to explain it? Um, I don't feel as though it's trumped by the fantasy 
no. because I don't know why. Yeah, it's odd. You don't really think of it as. I mean, it's it's obviously not like Lord of the Rings fantasy. It's not set no. in another world because no. Lord of the Rings is an adventure or a war film as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It, that's not the first thing you think about here. I do think it's the feeling. I mean, partly because it's a children's film. Yes. Yeah. Sort of makes it. Um, that's what I was going to say. Actually, I mean. You're very much put into the position of Kevin. Yeah. And, I mean, he asserts himself at the end. It's mm. his idea. I mean, he, through his motivation, they save the world type of thing. <laughs> but through much of it, you're kind of, he's kind of your representative on screen going mm. through these things, yeah. isn't he? Um, and you do, you do get drawn into it, really, a lot more than quite a lot of other films, I think. Mm. Um, as I, say, I don't know if that's because we saw it at that age mm. the, the same age as Kevin and we're kind of part of us is forever stuck there and, yeah. and we can relate to that um, also the fantasy element because his life at the beginning is so mundane so consumerist and so unimaginative it's almost like the fantasy element is the necessary escape from that yes yeah. it's like it, it expresses the freedom he feels when he's away from that constrictive world that's right yeah so well, I think we've done Time yeah. Bandits haven't we um, I'm desperately trying to remember what our next film is and Lost Horizon oh, Lost Horizon yeah. so we're going back again to the 1930s yeah this was remade uh, as a musical in the 70s yeah <laughs> which I've never seen but mm. the um, yeah Lost Horizon looking forward to but uh, anything else to say on Time Bandits or uh, no I just love it yeah great <laughs> film if you haven't seen it we've ruined it for you um, <laughs> um, so thank you very much for listening to this uh, sixth adventure film podcast as ever uh, if you've enjoyed it or if you've got anything to say um, please leave us a comment or write us an email whatever we'd love to hear your thoughts on it um, spread the word if you anyone you think might like to hear these or if you've got a blog or anything uh, give us a little plug we really appreciate that and we shall see you on the next one for Lost Horizon bye